Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. Fearscape Media Network is your new home for everything weird and enlightening. Check out podcasts and YouTube shows covering content from discussions on horror films to the paranormal to meditation. Find out more at FearscapeMedia.com. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids. Aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep. Into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another frightening edition of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on the Fearscape Media Network. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am joined, as always, by the vivacious and luscious. I'm just going to leave it at luscious because your brain leaves something to behold. My co-host, Mr. Josh Rutledge, how are you today, I'm sir? I'm doing fantastic. You know, of all the adjectives that there are to pull from, you pull luscious a lot. It's because I look at you and I see them cheeks, I see them lips, <laughs> I see them eyes, and I'm just, I'm candy crushing. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know what? I would be uh, I would be so much better. Like, I would be, like, my day would be perfect if... People would uh, like, subscribe, and review our show. Absolutely, yeah. You guys can review the show. We've had some reviews already coming in, and we love them. You can review on places like iTunes and Stitcher and, I believe, CastBox and some other places like that. Yeah, get on there, rate, review, and then like and subscribe and all that jazz. Share it. For Josh to make his day yeah, make so much day better. Perfect. So much better. Because <laughs> I got all the love on my birthday when I asked for YouTube subscribers and got two. Two. And one of them was my coworker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, get on our YouTube page too. Subscribe on there. We've got some new content coming. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. We love you and we're just joshing you. Get it? I do. I do get it yep. a lot. He's joshing you, but no, seriously. Like and review. Uh, but no, we've got a good episode today. Uh, we are back in the studio 
with a haunting episode. Yeah. Yeah. Been a bit. It's been it's been a while. But I tell you what, you'll be surprised, or maybe you won't be surprised, but I, I was able to work UFO stuff, stuff into it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Just like Andrea Perrin. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking, speaking of Andrea Perrin, we're going to be talking about the Enfield haunting, or the Enfield poltergeist, or the Enfield experience. There's a hundred names for this. Uh, this is the British haunting made popular in The Conjuring 2. Right, not the infield of a baseball diamond. <laughs> no, this is E-N, <laughs> right. and not Penfold from Danger Mouse either. So we're talking about the Enfield haunting. And no, we don't have anybody like Andrea Perrin on this one. I I don't know how to talk about Well, I, I, did, I did look into it. Um, she is still around, but she doesn't do interviews anymore. Uh, I don't I, blame her. I was going to reach out, but I read that she doesn't really do interviews anymore. Is so. this the mother or the... The kid, the mother. Oh wow, she's still alive. Yeah, she's still cool. kicking. That man, that type of. Well, we'll talk about it. But I was yep. like that type of haunting experience and stuff like that. Whew, I don't know how they're still kicking, man, with all that stress. Like you know, even Andrea's parents are both alive still, and they yeah. just had to carry all that burden. Well, it's when we crazy. get into the when we get into the research, there's a similarity between the mother and this story and the and, and Andrea's mom. Ooh, interesting, Andrea. So, if you're listening, yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, so yeah, um, that's that's our episode for today. That we're gonna. Be talking about is the Enfield haunting. Uh, so let's get into our segment so we can get to the topic and we're going to move straight into the psychic word of the week. And now the psychic word of the week. All right, Psychic Word of the Week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary by June Bletzer, Ph.D., Doctor of Love of My Heart. I love you. Rest in peace, honey bear. Um, I've flipped the pages, as we usually do, and stopped in the middle of the book this time, well, kind of middle, and I landed on page 264, and the first set of words that I looked down at was the words group sound. And uh, I did have somebody ask me, by the way, why we always flip through the book and just find something instead of like looking through it ahead of time and stuff like that. And I said, well, it's a psychic, it's a psychic, it's psychic dictionary, word, right. so we just need to trust Psychically it's, trust it's it. going right. to tell us right. what we need to learn, which it has strangely fit a, a lot of times yeah. the episode we were going to talk right. about. Um, but group sound, this is pretty cool. Um, so what this says is that music and sounds composed for group gatherings that influence members in the manner the leader intends. Music with a particular pitch, tone, speed, or rhythmic beat affects certain areas of the brain and etheric bodies of the listeners, which intensifies until the group is telepathically connected. Uh, it goes on to have further uh, explanations here. It says, one, it says, psychologically, the members get into the flow by clapping or stamping their feet or by concentrated listening. The sound in unison of emotions puts individuals in a light hypnotic state. Two, the members of the group are capable of doing individually that which they would not do without getting in this mass mood. Three, group music can be used for beneficial or undesirable intent. For example, misconduct stimulated by rock concerts, altered states of consciousness for psychism stimulated by tribal drumming, patriotism enhanced by a military band, healings encouraged by charismatic loud music and clapping, healings brought about by chanting. And I would also add into 
that praise music at churches, it kind yeah. of does the same thing. Yeah. Um, more so than hymns do, but uh, yeah, that praise that very, music, it, yeah. it, it uses certain notes. If you've ever listened to praise music, you know that melodically it tends to be very, very similar. Uh, and these types of notes, they do. They hit you in a certain yeah. way that uh, drive emotion. They, like the like the do 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 from uh, Phil Collins. Uh, yeah. In the do, 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 yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been a part of drumming circles. That's why a lot of people like drum circles because they are, they're healing because it does, it, it can allow you to get into a hypnotic state, the rhythm and things it's, like that. It's really interesting how a lot of the <clears throat> words and phrases that we've picked over the last several episodes have been almost seemed to complement each other. Like we had the, the, uh, uh, sp- elemental spirit, yes, yes. Uh, which is probably oftentimes helped along with things like this, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's just really interesting how... Even slaying in the spirit, I would assume that music helps people get well, into I'm the sure. mood. And, right. um, and uh, I just watched a really great horror movie, by the way, which I highly recommend. I don't know that we're going to cover it on Mysteries of the Dark, so I'm going to spoil it for you here. But it's on Shudder, and it's called Host. And um, it's a, a group of friends that have... Des- it's all filmed through Zoom, and it's a group of friends that have decided to have an online seance. And it's really freaking scary and really good. So it's kind of like found footage, right? But it's through Zoom. Mm. So there's like no music. There's nothing like that. Um, But they do. They have a medium that comes on in the very, very beginning. And she plays binaural beats and these tones. And there again is this music that is there to help stimulate a certain part of your brain to get things. And to to me, that says, you know, that's group sound. I mean, because it's not necessarily music. It it even says it could be sounds. Right. And those binaural beats, we've used them. Does it say we've we've yeah. done that with our enhanced Estes methods yeah. where we listen to some binaural tones to try to get us in the mood, which so we to need to do again, just not at like three in the morning, right when we're already tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, very very interesting. Thank you, June Bletzer. I I'm, I absolutely this is definitely one that I agree with and believe, and this is in a group session as well. That's what's really interesting, and is it talks about it, it affecting an entire group. Um, And I've been, you know, I'm very, very spiritual. So I've been to, you know, Buddhist retreats and Christian retreats and Wiccan retreats. And there's always some sort of music or drumming that sets the stage. I mean, even in improv, I have pre-show music to set the mood. You know what I mean? So what I just heard from all that is you like to go on retreats. I do. (laughs) do. So if anybody out there has a fun retreat that you would like me to come on, uh, P.O. Box 2. No. All right. Um, So, yeah, that's our psychic word for the week. So let's go ahead ahead and move into spooky news because boy oh boy do we have some big spooky news to talk about so do you want the big news first or the small news does size matter (laughs) to godzilla it does okay um let's go with the uh small news first all right so small news gets here then this this was a really interesting story and it grabbed my eyes for a certain reason i actually saw this on a number of websites uh this one comes from LiveScience.com, which is a really great website um and it says the headline reads entire cities could fit inside the moon's monstrous lava tubes and the reason why that i found this interesting is that when i lived in new mexico i actually went hiking into a number of lava tubes uh, they're really really interesting because they're a different type of cave 
leave because they weren't created right. through erosion. They, they were, were hollowed out. They were hollowed out. With lava. And it is. It's this long yeah. tube of a cave that you're waiting for, like, that big creature from Dune or Tremors to show up, you know? like I think I think it's a, when it's still under the earth, it's called magma. Magma. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, Anyways. I, I wear magmas. Is that what it is? <laughs> no. <laughs> They're shoes. What kind of shoe is called magma? Big ones. (laughs) (laughs) And they're hot. Um, Yeah, you ever see that show, game show, The Floor is Lava? Yes. That's where you wear magmas. I've unfortunately had to watch it a couple times. (laughs) Anyways, um, this says, uh, in talking, there's a secondary headline that says, don't slice your space chute open on the cave wall um, as a joke. Uh, but it goes on to say Mars is pockmarked with absolutely massive lava tu- lava lava tubes with ceilings as high as the Empire State Building new research shows. And our moon hosts even more gargantuan tubes with heights that dwarf Dubai's Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building, and skylights as big as football fields. These yawning subterranean caves... Uh, sorry... These yawning subterranean caverns, which are shielded from punishing solar radiation, could be used as sites for future human bases, scientists argue, or already oh, are right, right. being exactly. used. Uh, a lava tube is a tunnel under a world's surface formed by an intense flow of molten rock during a volcanic explosion. Uh, of course, we have them on Earth. Um, partial collapses sometimes form chains of skylights that reveal hidden lava tubes that are mostly intact. Researchers speculated that lava tubes might exist on Mars and the moon since the 1960s, but in recent years, Martian and lunar orbiters have beamed home images showing how common these formations likely are, both on the red planet and our moon. And now researchers are arguing in a new paper published on July 20th that it's time to explore them in earnest. Here's why. The lava tubes are truly enormous and might offer safer habitats than the lunar or Martian surfaces. Uh, It talks about how the largest lava tubes on Earth are a maximum of 130 feet in width and height, and uh, which is basically like a large motorway tunnel. Well, the ones on Mars are 80 times larger than Earth, and the ones on the moon range to somewhere between 1,600 and 3,000 feet in diameter. Yeah. So yeah, this that could contain it could contain a small city within the walls on the ones on the moon. So well, and I I think I it asked the I think I shared this story on our Facebook page, and I asked the question if maybe the existence of those lava tubes is what caused the moon to ring. To ring, yeah. So interesting. So I watched a um, documentary that I was going to add personally talk to you about josh you know any of these um gaia type you know ones we're always like okay because they tend to kind of go on the conspiracy side of things this one was on amazon prime but it is um from ufo tv which um, there's a lot of those that show up on uh gaia as well but it was called um oh lord what was it called like aliens on the moon or something along those lines um but uh it was actually really good um, and it talked a lot about the history of lunar expansion and us going there and things like that. But they did indeed also talk about why did the moon ring and why it has to be hollow based off of the topography yeah. and the things like that. It was very, very interesting. I'm almost 100% certain it's called Aliens on the Moon. I recommend checking it out. Um, one, did you have something you want to say? Well, I was going to say um, one of the interesting things I think about, that I find about this story is, is that um, we have – 
must have been using ground penetrating radar to have mapped lava tubes on the moon. Yeah. Because how else would we know? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, they they know that I guess they can see the entrances. You know, they sent these orbiters there and they're taking pictures. And I guess, yeah, you can penetrate exactly like you were saying to to see how deep these things are. Well, and we know we did that story a few episodes back about uh, the Chinese probe that went to the dark side of the moon. Mm -hmm. And they found that green god snot. (laughs) And um, But I mean, and then they at the end of that article, it says... (laughs) <laughs> you know, they were doing radar topography. I'm like, that's what I want to know about. So maybe this is a little bit of that. Yeah. It, well, it's the same thing like that news story that came up recently talking about they're almost certain there's water on Ceres, the uh, the big asteroid in the, right. the belt that may have been the planet. <laughs> it was probably the core of the planet. Yeah. They're almost they're pretty certain just based off of the types of sensors that they used and things like that, that there's water there. Yeah. Um, which is remarkable that it's stayed. Can you how stagnant that water is? Don't drink it, yo. Well, I mean, <laughs> it also tells you how much gravity that planet, moon, I don't know what you, planetoid, but how much gravity it must still have to have retained the water. Right. And, you know, that's what's interesting, that aliens on the moon, one of the things they talked about was that astronauts have claimed that there are um, that there there is fog that shows up on the moon and they don't know where from because there's no there's no water anywhere on the moon yet there are these times and they said it lasted something like 40 hours where they had this this big thick steam fog i mean they, they had droplets on their their visors and it's not fog it's a space station well no i just i was just because like what if it's a, you know ethereal or something like what if it's oh yeah we can definitely or, dig into you know, that whatever, for so. sure for sure and i'm just saying that you know just because i mean i think that's even isn't that a movie Probably where they like there's it's like this mist ghost to Mars. Well, and actually no, I'm, I'm th- it's a Star Trek episode <laughs> where they like encounter this. They go through this gaseous cloud and they suck some up. Oh yeah, and it turns out there's like living beings yes. inside of it, yes, and they yes. start wreaking havoc with their systems because they want to get back. And so yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, I want to wrap up this article. Uh, it talks about that uh, someone said due to their huge size and possibility of having leaks due to the fracturing of the rocks, it seems that pressurizing these cities or anything like that or these tubes would be very unlikely. Um, what is more likely is to establish settlements within these voids, either to host humans or for storing equipment. However, stashing a base inside the lava tube prevents or presents challenges too. Although a lava tube could provide a shelter to thermal excursion, radiation, and micro impacts, it is not easily accessible and the basaltic rocks of the interior can be razor sharp and the terrain very uneven. So the engineering challenges of placing inflatable habitats within these caves is not trivial and requires very detailed studies. So did you ever watch the uh, series, it was a docu-series on National Geographic called Mars, which is called Mars? Mm-mm. It came out in 2016. I think there was like two seasons. You know, you can watch it now on Netflix. It's out there. But it was basically, it was the reason it was a docu-series is because the the drama part of it was Earth trying to colonize Mars. It was It was set like maybe 25 or 30 years into our current future. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason it was more of a docu side is because they would, in every episode, they would do certain things on the drama side, and then they would go to current scientists who would talk about 
the things that we would encounter if we tried to colonize Mars. That's interesting. That's a very popular um, way to do docs right now. Yeah. Netflix has a lot of them, but you know where they use these heavily dramatized right. stories and then have in-betweens with scientists or historians. Reiterate. Yeah. yeah. So the reason I bring it all up is because, uh, in, a, in a spoiler alert, if you're going to watch it, but um, <laughs> they end up establishing a permanent base in a Mars lava tube. Yeah, really? Yep. How funny. Interesting. Now and they use, a, they use a big elevator to go up and down from the surface. Man, this is a total recall, dude. I'm just telling you. <laughs> telling you was it kawaden or whatever the, yeah. <laughs> get out get out um all right so the next one is the big news and i really really want to talk about this so i've got two pieces i'm going to read here for you i'm going to read this press release that's really really important and then a quick news story about the press release so this press release comes from the u.s department of defense um if you've seen our facebook page or the media group we've posted it there uh, but we're going to talk about it a little bit here uh immediate release from the dod establishment of unidentified aerial phenomena task force on august 4th 2020 Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist approved the establishment of an unidentified aerial phenomena UAP task force called the UAPTF. The Department of the Navy, under the cognizance of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Secretary, will lead the new UAPTF. The Department of Defense established the task force to improve its understanding of and gain insight into the nature and origins of UAPs. The mission of the task force is to detect, analyze, and catalog UAPs that could potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security. As DOD has stately, or as DOD has stated previously, the safety of our personnel and the security of our operations are of paramount concern. The Department of Defense and the military departments take any incursions by unauthorized aircraft into our training ranges or designated airspace very seriously and examine each report. This includes examinations of incursions that are initially reported as UAP when the observer cannot identify immediately what he or she is observing. So, wow. <laughs> so let me follow here with a uh, post, which, by the way, uh, thank you to Matt Tiller for uh, breaking us to that story. We dropped it before most anybody did. Um, even this article I'm looking at right here came out after we dropped it. Uh, but this comes from CNN. Um, it says the Pentagon is forming a new task force to investigate UFOs that have been observed by U.S. military aircraft, according to two defense officials. Uh, this talks about Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist. He's going to oversee the task force, which will be officially unveiled in the next few days. Previous efforts to look into the Pentagon dubs unidentified aerial phenomena were led by the U.S. Navy, as many of the documented encounters involved their aircraft. The Department of Defense was not immediately ready to respond to a request for comment. But members of Congress and Pentagon officials have long expressed concerns about the appearance of unidentified aircraft that have flown over U.S. military bases, posing a risk to military jets. There is no consensus on the origin of these UAPs, with some believing they may be drones potentially operated by earthly 
friendly adversary seeking to gather intelligence rather than extraterrestrials. Now, the Senate Intelligence Committee voted in June to have the Pentagon and intelligence community provide a public analysis of the encounters following the official Pentagon release of the three short videos showing U.S. aircraft encountering these phenomena. And of course, this was Marco Rubio that had this up, Senator from Florida. He says, we have things flying over our military bases and places where we are conducting military exercises and we don't know what it is and it is not ours. So that's a legitimate question to ask. Frankly, <clears throat> if it's something from outside this planet that might actually be better than the fact that we've seen some sort of technological leap on behalf of the Chinese or the Russians or some other adversary. And, uh, you know, so of course, most of them are speculating that they're drones or things like that. But needless to say, these folks are ready to get into this. And the last quote here is from Luis Elizondo um, of Unidentified, uh, he, which he used to be the head of the old program, uh, ATIP. Uh, Q-tip. Q-tip. <laughs> uh, he said he personally believes that because this happens, this is very compelling evidence that we may not be alone. And, yeah, so... Uh, I'm yeah. excited about this. I, I, I am too. So, you know, when we, hesitant at the same time. Right. When we broke this story, you know, a lot of people asked some really valid questions. And one of those was Does this imply that they haven't been looking into it before now? Right. And, and obviously, we just said Luis Elizondo had a tip. They had Project Blue Book. Right. They had Project This, Project That, Project This, Project That. And then the other thing that I'll say is when you look at a lot of games and movies, um, are uh, uh, the United the or the let's say the Earth's when you look at it, the games and stuff, the Earth's um, space force, if you will, is usually aligned to the Navy mm-hmm. because navigating ships in space is a lot like navigating ships in water. Is that you have to understand that small incremental turns make a huge shift. Though our new space force is aligned with the Air Force. I don't think I think it's its own thing. Well, I mean, it came from the Air Force. It was part of the Air Force. Well, and yes, it is going to be its own thing. But it, it, it it's it's odd because I agree with you one hundred percent. And it's odd that Space Force came out of a side project, essentially yeah. of the Air Force. So, but yeah, I do. It, it is very, and I agree with that. I mean, everything, even Star Trek. I mean, talks about United States ship. You right. know, not not plane, not right. you know craft. It's it's always ship. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, yeah, every, not United States. You know what I mean? But United yeah, Starfleet, United <laughs> Federation of Planets. Anyways, um, so yeah, I mean, it, definitely interesting. I I think my biggest question is is so okay. They've come out and said they're going to form this task force. Great. Are they going to share what they find? Right, and that's the question: is is how transparent are they going yeah. to be? Because even with a tip, I mean, Lewis will tell you they were not transparent. And hell, he still can't talk about the things that he saw while he was in there, which has been the problem always with these things you know because it's like project blue book and um whatever that civilian council that came uh during the time the yeah i know what you're talking about i can't think yeah the council of 12 or whatever it was you know they were there essentially to debunk and and this feels different though this this doesn't feel like a debunking the fact that in their press release they say 100 percent definitively these are not ours we don't know what they are. Yeah. We don't know where they come from. 
but we're checking it out. Yeah. Now, the side bit to that that I don't like is, is it also creates a little bit of fear. And everything we've been researching and talking about is I think they're testing the waters yeah. to see if that freaks people out or not. Because well, panic it, has always been the biggest. And you, you made the correlation that this is the same time this year that last year Trump announced Space Force. Space Force, yeah. So it's like, again... It's incremental. It, it, go, it all goes back to the Brookings report of incremental um, <clears throat> introduction of the unknown. Well, and think about it. A year before that was when we started to see those videos come out and, yeah. and things like that. It's yeah, I mean, like, it, it really does give this feeling like they're kind of sprinkling... Uh, you know, bait in the water to see if they're going to get any takers. Right. And and again, this is why my, my concern here was why is the, you know, why was the Navy in charge of this task force, right? Why is it not the new Space Force? You know, it seems like, but then again, the UAPs, 99% of the time, aren't happening in outer space. They're happening in our sky. Right. So, yeah. um, so very, very interesting. This is just, I, I we are going to be following this like a mofo. Yeah. Um, I'm so interested in this and, um, you know, had a feeling this was coming. Um, you know, it, it's been alluded yeah, I mean, to it, on Unidentified and then the Marco Rubio stuff a couple weeks back. And well, I mean, I just, from, a, from our understanding, like I said, our, our discussion around them releasing information to the public i just felt like something something was coming regardless like there was going to be some step forward in our understanding of what these things are and and i think an acknowledgement by the military by the government to say again they could spin up a task force and not tell anybody yeah which they have, a which they have times. in the past, right? Well, you know, and so, then this this small release, you know, like the Navy releasing the videos, and then the Pentagon verifying yeah. them, and then Congress getting behind this and saying, "Hey, we need to create a task force," and the Pentagon going, "Okay, let's create a task force." Yeah. The Department of Defense gets involved. This is big news. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like you know, and you know, here, here the other side of it is is when it comes to a lot of these things and the footage that we have, it's going to be hard, I think, to debunk them in a way that is. Um, it's a it's a spot it's a spotted owl sitting on top of a tree, versus you know this is like we've got a this, you know the the five the five classification from uh, Lou Alizondo about you know they burst of speed and erratic sh- you know mm-hmm. our, our route change and all that kind of stuff. In order for any government of the world to be able to say that's us. The next question is going to be, sure, now show us how. Yep, show us how or prepare for war. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very interesting. And I think I think Lou and those guys knew this was coming. And I think that's probably one of the reasons the show kind of came out was to kind of, in a way, give them a check and balance. Yeah. Because them going to uh, South America and showing how ridiculous that dude from Argentina was to yeah. say that everything was 100% shows you how we don't want that. Yeah. We don't want another council saying all of this is fake. Right. Why are you going to tell us all of it's a, it's fake? If it was all fake, then why would we have this new task force? Exactly. Again? Yeah. Obviously, there's some stuff that we don't understand and we need to figure it out. And uh, I am so very interested. Yeah. And, and I think this just verifies that we're in another UFO flap. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that's the other reason. I think we're seeing a lot more UAPs and UFOs and, and things like that. Um, and it, it has made the government go, okay, we need to pay attention. You know, there's tic tacs in the sky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not those nasty 
mint flavored ones either. It's like, funny because my father-in-law was sitting in the living room with me watching Unidentified, and they were re-showing the Tic Tac video. And before they even said Tic Tac, he goes, it looks like a big giant Tic Tac. <laughs> and then they go, oh, the Tic Tac craft. And he's like, oh. <laughs> he's trying to make a joke. And I'm like, no, that's, that's what it is, man. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, since we're on the hot topic of UFOs and UAPs, let's get into our UAP sighting of the week. All right, Josh, so uh, our listeners that have listened before know that each week we pull a UAP or UFO sighting that we found on various websites or news or whatnot and pick one to share with our audiences for the week. So what do we have going on this week? So I pulled something uh, more international for this week. Oh, speakers, um, we're doing Enfield haunting. Yeah. I see what you did there. <laughs> so this actually comes from uh, Jakarta, uh, Indonesia. Woo! Um, and Jakarta it sounds like such a cool Jedi name. It does. <laughs> or at least like the name of a temple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there probably is a temple. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this occurred on July 31st at uh, 7.33 a.m., uh, local time okay. and it says there's a dark chevron shaped ufo hovered for two minutes and then vanished without a trace saw this object at exactly 7:33 a.m on 7 31 2020 appeared 500 meters to one kilometer away no sound no wings too high to be a kite direction was west southwest Almost hovering or moving very slowly towards northwest 342 degrees. Blue skies, no clouds. When I switched camera to video and looked up at it, it was gone. The whole event lasted no more than a couple of minutes. It was gone. The whole event lasted no more than a couple of minutes. Wow. Um, so this is the second time we've talked about chevron shaped, and I want to clarify that this is more along the lines of the boomerang shape. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially a triangle, but more just the top and, you know, the, the, the two sides of a triangle. There's, it's not a full triangle. So are you implying that our listeners don't know what a chevron is? I sure the hell didn't. So I had to look <laughs> it up. Um, so, cause if chevron you, to me is a goat. So I didn't. if you've ever seen. People military. In the military, yeah, it's they like got a, chevrons on their sleeves. Yeah, a little arrow. Yeah, yep. some of us didn't come from a military family, so yeah, but you live with one for a couple of years. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. <laughs> Hi, Howard. Um, so, but yeah, so the chevron shape. So I, I've always just referred to them as the boomerang shapes, but I know that even that's different because sometimes there's a curve in the front, sometimes yeah. there's not. So very, very interesting. Very cool. I love his detail. Um, this is something you're good at that I am not, which is figuring out the direction. Uh, and where it sits on the horizon, I just look and I'm like, it's between these two trees. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Billy Bob was sitting out there on the corner, so it must have been around lunchtime. He saw it. It reflected <laughs> off his tooth, so I knew it was real. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Very, very cool. And that was, you said, again, was in Indonesia and in Jakarta. So all this happens all over the world. All over guys. the world. All over yep. the world. Um, so I want to quickly move out of this and uh, move into Creepy Ketchup because you had a sighting as well didn't you creepy ketchup creepy ketchup creepy ketchup creepy ketchup y'all it's creepy all right so creepy ketchup i'm gonna tell you right now i don't have anything this week it's been pretty 
um, slow, but I've been really stressed out. And I, when I get stressed, I, I, I don't pay attention to things, though, like, I feel like I'm having absent memory, like something happened yeah. and I've forgotten. And I'm like, oh, great. That usually implies I had sleep paralysis and a night hag and I didn't remember it. <laughs> so I... So yeah, you know, I had a couple of things. You know, I was going to say something real quick about the sleep paralysis thing. I think that sleep paralysis is normal. I go, I get sleep paralysis every it night. It is sleep paralysis is pretty normal. But I mean, I think it's just a regular occurrence because your body is basically shutting down to conserve energy. Well, yeah. So I mean, why would you? Be able to quickly move. At the end of the day, all it is is that your your body and your mind are disconnected. Your mind has woke up, but your your nerves and your body have not. They 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 have not woken up, and that's kind of why you're moving. But it's interesting because I just posted a news story today that talked about that there is hope for sleep paralysis sufferers through meditation, and it talks about mm. some things that can, that can kind of help with sleep paralysis. But the thing is, when when Brad and I did the episode on uh, sleep paralysis, the two episodes and night yeah. hags. We did talk about that not everybody goes through it, though. Not everybody experiences it because, yes, I agree with you. I think sleep paralysis itself in general happens. That's how we sleep. Right. But waking up. Waking up. The waking up part is what people consider sleep paralysis to be. Um, I agree with you, though. I'm kind of like, oh, there should be another name <clears throat> for that step. Yeah. <laughs> Waking sleep paralysis, so to speak. Probably. But yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, I think everybody does, and some more than others, because, you know, uh, like that guy we went to college with, where, like, if he fell asleep in a position, he woke up that way. Yeah. You know, every night. Not me. I toss and turn throughout right. the night, which is why my dreams get sporadic. So, so but anyways. Anyways. So, <laughs> so yeah, I did have, um, I had a UAP sighting. Um, Sunday. It was during the day, which you said you've yeah. been wanting. Yeah, I've been wanting one during the day. I mean, this was not like 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 I don't know, overly. <laughs> it wasn't like a big black craft. Flew it wasn't by like or close encounters. You no, know, nothing like time. that. But <laughs> it's like I was driving down the road and all the brick shite, you know, light shined over top of me and the sun burned half my face or something. Brick shite. You know, oh, I didn't like start. You know, carving my mashed potatoes with a fork. <laughs> <laughs> But any, but anyways, no, I was I was, I was driving uh, like it was like maybe one o'clock or something in the afternoon, and uh, I was driving to to Keith Age's house to drop some stuff off, and and um, like up my windshield, I saw some buzzards kind of up in the sky. I don't different people probably call them there. We call them buzzards, vultures, vultures, you know, whatever. They're the birds that eat dead things on the side of the road. So. Carrion. Um, they were just kind of flying around up there, and I don't, I don't know why, but I, I looked up at them, and when I did, I saw like way beyond them, in the sky, I saw this bright flash of light, and it wasn't like, I mean, I knew where the sun was, you know, it wasn't the sun in the sky, it was this big bright flash of light. I've seen, I've heard some similar Bible stories, so I'm ready. Yeah, well, there's, there's a big guy at a chariot of fire. And, <laughs> no, but. Um, so, you know, I was like, well, what is that? And then I thought, well, maybe it was like an airplane, right? Mm-hmm. You know, way up there and the sun glared off of the, the, the paint stuff. And, and that's what I saw the flash of. So then I drove a little ways, lo- a little ways on and I, and I looked up again to try to, you know, of course you want to see if you can see it again. Well, one of the times I looked up again, I saw it again. It kind of flashed at me. So I was like, well, I got to go somewhere so I can pull over. So I got to where I could pull over and I got out of the car and I looked in the vicinity where it was. And I didn't really see it, and I, like I saw another actual airplane like streaking across the sky. It had the contrail and mm-hmm. everything, 
and then I looked back to where it was before, and again, there was that big flash of light, and then, like, I couldn't see where it was coming from. Wow. So, of course, uh, Kristen thinks that maybe I'm, a, like, having a seizure or something. So <laughs> Did you smell toast? I did not smell toast. <laughs> but she tells, you know, I, I tell her all the time about uh, smelling my grandfather in the house, mm-hmm. and she tells me that it's probably because I'm having a stroke. So <laughs> Our wives know. so need to hang out. <laughs> my wife's just always like, Okay. Yeah. Sure. That's, that's the same thing, Kristen. So. <laughs> but then as soon as something happens to them, they're like, it's real. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's real. You need real. to get up this stuff out of this house. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that was my that was my unexplainable. And, then, you, know, I, you, know, you know, we've talked about this before. At no point in that whole, in that whole thing did I think, let me get my camera out because mm-hmm. I was just I just wanted to see it. You get caught up in it, yeah. man. And, and you know, in some, I almost need to like walk around with like a body cam on just to catch stuff. Well, you know, and, and as we talked about last week, John Keel talking about is it by design? And if it's by design, uh, bringing in Andrea Parent's theory is that are the is it all hypnotic? Is it all hallucinatory? Is it all um, telepathic? Right? Yeah. Are they grabbing you? Is that one of the things that makes you not think about? getting yeah. your phone or getting or even the app to say oh was that an airplane like, right different things like that but it happens you get so caught up in the moment and these things don't last an hour no they don't so. even last i mean most of the cases that we read on here during the uap segment are you know at most a couple minutes yeah so. this is much like my wife tells me <laughs> <laughs> all right do you have anything else or was is that your creepy catch up no that's pretty much it i mean i had a couple of, of interesting dreams and one last night about uh, a concept around time, like what time is, but mm-hmm. we'll get into that here. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that puts us, you know, square and ready to get into our topic, the Enfield haunting, which I'm very, very excited about. So uh, we're going to move right into that right after a quick ad break. Hey, everyone. Josh here. Do you feel like mainstream options for things such as yoga, meditation, or documentaries and films meant to expand your mind are lacking? Have you heard of Gaia? Gaia is the largest resource of consciousness-expanding videos. Both Stefan and I have watched several of the series, documentaries, and films available on topics such as the Secret Space Program, Channeling Interdimensional Beings, and Alien Encounters. We're just now exploring the over 8,000 films, shows, and classes available to stream on your favorite devices. To get your 10-day free trial of Gaia, go to fearscapepodcast.com slash Gaia offer. Again, that's fearscapepodcast.com slash G-A-I-A offer. From nowhere, a suburb of parts unknown. Join Stefan and Lance, the Misters of the Dark, as they review all things horror with their latest victim. (laughs) I mean guest. (laughs) New episodes of Misters of the Dark drop Mondays on the Fearscape Media Network. All right, and we are back. That's right, you guys. Check out <laughs> Misters of the Dark. I have to shamelessly plug myself because I, you know, 
do that when no one's around. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, check that out. Check out, you know, all the good stuff. But anyways, I'm ready to talk about infield haunting because we have not had a haunting in a while because geez oh louise have we been obsessed with cryptids and yeah. serial killers and ufos oh my um but yeah i wanted to what was the last haunting episode i think i think we talked about it it was um the one in uh clarksville oh culbertson, culbertson Mansion. Mansion. goodness yeah. gracious that has been it's a been ages time. it's like six um, months ago so. yeah well the cool thing is is that uh next week we're gonna have another haunting episode and we should be having our good friend vashti hooper on as well yep. so uh that one's gonna be really cool kind of a double whammy there having vashti on yeah i missed her <laughs> <laughs> I text her a lot, and I'm just like, hey, boo-boo, I miss you. And she's like, I know, I can feel it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you psychic. Uh, but anyways, let's get talking about the infield haunting poltergeist scary stuff. Yep. So um, this all happened in uh, from like 1977 to 1979 in a town called Enfield, England, which I, I tried looking up. Enfield, England, and I can't find it. I think it's just a suburb of uh, London. Well, so I found a place called Enfield Town, England, and then there's like an Enfield Ireland and an Enfield Wales, but there's there's no just Enfield England. So I'm going to go with Enfield Town, England is where yeah, it is. Yeah, like I said, I, like I, a, I'm almost certain it's kind of like here, yeah. like Shively, that it's a part, right. like a part of London. Um, yeah. Because I, I feel like I remember being able to see the city in the distance in uh, pictures and things like that. So it's often referred to either as the infield haunting or the infield uh, poltergeist, uh, which I'll get onto the poltergeist stuff in just a minute. I have, a, I have an additional uh, theory uh, to, to tack on. And I will say real quick that, yes, Enfield Town is in Greater London. Yeah, I mean, I looked it up on yeah. the map because mm-hmm. when I was putting together my little I, theory. For me, I was just double-checking. Okay. So I, I do that occasionally. <laughs> you don't trust my research is what you're saying. No, I do not. Okay. So um, so we've got uh, so single mother uh, Peggy Hogs, Hogs, Hodgson. Sorry. I don't know why I kept forgetting there was a <laughs> I D. I was like, are you getting in Harry Potter? Are we getting into Hogsmeade? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peggy Hodgson. Uh, lived in public housing with her four children. Um, they were Margaret, age 14, Janet, age 11, Johnny, age 10, and Billy, age 7. You know, earlier in the show, I talked about I, I was trying to reach out to uh, someone mm-hmm. to, to have on the show. I was trying to reach out. I was going to look into Janet. It was not Peggy. I apologize. So it, it was, was the daughter. It was the, one, one of, the of the daughters. Yes. So, and most of this actually is really centered around the two daughters, Correct. Margaret and Janet. Um, so again, Margaret fourteen, Janet eleven. Um, you know, there's a little anecdotal information here. It says they were good kids by most accounts, but every now and then they engaged in a prank or two, but it never caused any real problems for their mother. So, you know, seventies. I'm sure kids were. I don't know. I don't know what kids were like in England bored. in the 70s. But, <laughs> but uh, bored. Yeah, exactly. They didn't want to play with their, um, um, what's that game where you have jacks? They didn't want to yeah, play jacks. jacks. No, <laughs> they were watching Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all started in August of 1977. And um, basically in uh, Janet and Margaret were in the upstairs of their home. And they were playing in a bedroom. And Peggy, their mother, heard the girls calling for her. Uh, And they sounded as if they were frightened. 
So when Peggy went up to the bedroom, she could hear loud banging. The girls told their mother that a wardrobe had slid across the room and that they had heard banging on the walls that they couldn't explain. Mm-mm, that will not take you to Narnia, girls. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you right now. It's going to take you to the place where Pinhead is and Hellraiser. Don't, <laughs> don't go in there. So, you know, Peggy, you know, unsure of what's going on. She called the police. Um, so two constables arrived and were witnesses to a chair sliding across the floor, mm. though no one had touched it. In subsequent interviews, they also claimed to have seen toys thrown around the room and demonic voices and even Janet's levitation. Okay, now I do know about that, but quickly I want to say that this reminds me of two things. First, Poltergeist. Remember the chair slid across. I wonder if uh, he got inspiration from the Enfield haunting. Potentially. The other thing was the Ammon's Demon House. Um... The uh, up in uh, Gary, Indiana, that uh, Zach Bagans, I hate you, um, but Zach Bagans, (laughs) like, did the uh, one of the only documentaries with him in that I like. um, That a lot of public officials, cops, CPS workers, things like that, they also documented seeing things. So that's pretty remarkable when you have people outside of the home already seeing things. But yeah, are you about to get into the levitation? Because this, I've seen some pictures of. I was not going to get into the levitation specifically. Okay. Okay. So, but if you have something to well, add. Well, it's just, it's creepy. Like, you know, and I, I've heard people think that it's faked and things like that. But I mean, the- I've seen a picture of it. One of the one of the criticisms against it says that uh, she was a really good gymnast. Yeah. And that she could have jumped and then they snapped the picture. But also know that cameras at that time, <laughs> yeah. I mean, didn't have like a really sharp. Uh, Hell, you know, my camera, dude. If you even like <laughs> look left, I'm like, damn it, it's fuzzy now. <laughs> Let alone someone who's jumping on a right. bed screaming, right? right? Like, and to get a perfectly clear picture. And it's fright. I mean, the look on her face is frightening. And I thought they did a very good job of this in Conjuring 2, kind of emulating that picture. Yeah. Um, I thought was really interesting. So, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm like, with the technology then. Right. For a poor family, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, don't move for five minutes while I take this picture. I know. know? It's like, hold on, do it again. I, right. I didn't get it. I know you're terrified right now, but do it again. That's how so many, like, weird orbs and horror pictures got taken, you know, with the <laughs> pol- pol- Polaroid pictures and stuff. Yeah. The time. So in the years that followed, uh, of course, the family got a lot of media coverage and public criticism. And the Society for uh, uh, Psychical, is that right? Yeah, Psychical. Okay, Research uh, was soon involved in the case, and the family received much attention from the Daily Mail and the Daily Mirror. So this went on for a while, is two what years. you're saying. So two years before they even got anybody real to come in. At that point, it was just cops and stuff? Yep. That's crazy. I didn't know that. So... Um, now, I'm going to go right into the, you know, usually we say for the, the criticism for the end. I'm going to go ahead and get the criticism out of the way. Okay. And then we'll talk about why it doesn't really hold water. Ooh, as, see, as, I like that. Yeah. As What's-His-Face would say uh, from my cousin Vinny. <laughs> Are you telling me? I love that movie. Not a horror movie. Yeah, so <clears throat> they, uh, of course, because anybody who comes forward, one of the big criticisms is, is that they were seeking attention. <laughs> of course, yeah, because that's exactly what you want to put your right. kids through. When I don't know if the if the mother was a single mother in real life or just in the movie, but like no, it, yeah, she was a single okay, mother. In real yeah, life. so having to deal yeah. with that and with 70s, four kids. So yeah. yeah, 
So um, they basically say that because it was the two girls that were primarily involved, which are the two older ones, um, that they were just, you know, seeking attention. Um, so they were ex- they were visited by a number of uh, quote-unquote experts on the paranormal. Among the visitors were Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair. Uh, members of the Society for Psychical Research. Both of these men spent extended periods of time with the family, and while they claimed that most of the occurrences had, in fact, happened, they also didn't hesitate to mention that some of the events may have been made up. Hmm. Now, here's the kicker. Janet herself was caught on camera bending spoons and trying to bend an iron bar. She was also caught banging a broom handle against the ceiling. Right. And I, I've heard this as well. Um, Which, just because somebody's done something, doesn't take away yeah. from the fact that something else could have happened. I mean, right. that you can reach a point where you're like, I gotta keep this up. Maybe they're getting deals. and uh, Who knows? Right. At that point where you do, you feel like you've got to. So, um, Janet and Margaret were interviewed by reporters a lot. And in one of the interviews um, where they were video recorded, the interview uh, with BBC Scotland, the girls were asked how it felt to be haunted. Janet's response, it's not haunted, with a smile on her face. Shut up, answered Margaret. <laughs> that, so, again, doesn't mean anything. Right. She could just be tired she, of it. Well, and she could also, like that, like the whole it's not haunted could be the prank, Right. right? Yeah. She could just be egging her sister on or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really on it, you know, but, but, um, or she's just tired of it yeah. at that point. I mean, well, in, in one point, at one point, uh, in my research, I did find that, um, Janet actually had, so, uh, the main, uh, one of the main researchers, Maurice Gross, um, was like 85 years old at the time yeah. that all this happened. And, um, he and Janet, were like really good friends, like peas in a pod. Right. And so she would prank him all the time when he was do his, doing his investigations. <laughs> like she would hide his tape recorder yeah. from him. and I mean, I get it. I'd do it to Keith. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she would. So like the times where they caught her bending spoons, the other thing that I found said that it was because she would bend a spoon and then place it where, he, like, he would get up to go get a drink of water, and while he was gone, she'd bend a spoon and, like, place it on his, on his <laughs> chair, you know, to just kind of mess with him a little to bit. To mess so, with him. So, I, yeah, I again, not not that... Yeah, how, that much, dis- how much stuff is taken out of context. That disputes all of it. You know, that doesn't make... It, now, it doesn't hold water. <laughs> yeah. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren also showed up at one point, I believe in 78, correct? Yeah, so I've got a little bit about that here okay. towards the end. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, we'll get to that in just a minute. So, you know, of course, you know, kind of getting into the cultural references. Um, there was originally in 1992, the BBC aired a mockumentary called Ghost Watch, which was based on the story. Yes, I did not know that. I love Ghost Watch. <laughs> Ghost Watch is a great movie. It is. It's a mockumentary, so it's like slightly hilarious and yeah. but scary. And um, I, it, I believe it's on uh, BritBox. It's either on BritBox or on Shutter or on both. But yeah, highly recommend Ghost Watch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it, it goes on to say that in, in most of the cultural references, uh, everything was exaggerated. 
um, and uh, a lot of times taken out of context and theatricized for, of course, they want to sell tickets, right? So uh, anytime you put that kind of stuff in, in play, it's... Right, and, that, and that's why I always get mad that they think that it's the family that is the yeah. one that is seeking money. The, the second, like, Hollywood or producers or news or anything find anything like this, I mean, they latch and jump. Now, in 1980, Guy Lyon Playfair actually wrote a book about it mm-hmm. uh, titled This House is Haunted, colon, The True Story of the Infield Poltergeist. Um, and, you know, Playfair was one of the original investigators just a few years earlier. Now, <clears throat> they go on to say that, you know, it's possible that he could have had something to gain by claiming the story is true. But again... He and, and, and Maurice Gross had already gone on, on record as saying some of the stuff might have been made up, but there is some truth right. to some of it as well. Well, I mean, you have to sell a book, too. I mean, at the end of the day, I hate to say this, you got to sell a book. Yeah. You've got to fill in the, the, the in-betweens. You've got to fill in the in-betweens. Because if, if the book was nothing but the facts that happened, it would probably be four pages long on anything. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. so much of a book has to be conjecture. It has to be... Uh, getting an idea and fictionalizing what the conversation between right. two people may have been like. Right, exactly. You know? Well, I mean, it's you know, reading, we talked about it before, uh, with reading uh, Kiel's book, Operation Trojan Horse. Mm-hmm. You know, the first, like, 13 chapters have been nothing but him making his case. Yeah. And then, you know, we're just now getting to the part of him actually coming to some sort of conclusion. So... Um, so yeah, like you say, if you just if you just went right into, here's my idea, here's why, and there you go, it'd be like a chapter long. So, <laughs> right. or, or all the chapters would be one pages. Yep. So um, there were uh, so there were many events um, which have been verified that can't be explained. Uh, furniture was seen to move across the floors. Uh, Legos and marbles would drop. Hot. From the ceiling. Hot. Okay, now that reminds me of the Whispers Estate. Because Whispers Estate, if you listen back to our evidence episode and stuff like that, that's one of their things is that coins will drop from the ceiling. And they'd be hot and things like that. And we indeed had a a penny or some sort of coin drop from the ceiling. It scared the shit out of us. I remember you telling me that story. So um, they would also hear uh, knocking against the walls and ceilings. Uh, the most interesting occurrence was the apparent possession of Janet herself. Uh, she can be heard on several recorded interviews speaking in a voice which would seem humanly impossible for an 11-year-old girl. I've listened to it because when I got done watching Conjuring 2, I was obsessed with you know trying to learn some stuff about it. And uh, you can find those those tapes and yeah. listen to them, and it's it's creepy. And, and I will tell you, it's it's just as creepy as the movie portrayed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it says that she apparently knew things about the poltergeist, which it would be imbo- impossible to know. Yeah. Um, you know, it, so in one case, uh, the most it says the most conclusive evidence of this is in Jane's possession was her finally stated in a male voice who she was. My name is Bill. Just before I died, I went blind, and then I had a hemorrhage, and I fell asleep and died in the chair in the corner downstairs. So, um, the message from Bill had been caught on a tape recorder. It was played on the radio, 
And soon after, a man stepped forward. His name was Terry. He recognized the voice as his father's. He was able to verify that his dad, Bill Wilkins, had died in that house exactly as described. (laughs) And I'll tell you, man, Bill in the movie is creepy as all get out. And the one thing that I liked that the movie did is that it showed that spirits themselves can be possessed. um, Because, you know, they play a larger shared universe thing happening there that it was that Valis or whatever the name of the uh, demon was, the nun demon and stuff like that, was able to uh, possess Bill Wilkins' spirit. So, well, we even <laughs> back when we talked about the Smurl family yeah. haunting, there was that aspect of like just spirits inhabiting the space, but then a darker force uh, manipulated them into doing other right, things, manipulating that energy, right, like a vessel, right? It's creepy man. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, there's critics against it that says that Janet was simply able to modify her voice and like a ventriloquist would. And, um, but, you of course, know, this 13 year old girl or however old she was has it, mad it, skills at the time, maybe 12, 12 and a half. Right. Um, but also, how would she have known the details about, you know, this is 70. Yeah, it's this not like is there's not, the Internet to look it up on. or something. Yeah, it's not. And it's not like the guy had a journal that he wrote as he died. Right, exactly. You know, like, yeah, I, I mean, yes, I guess you could go and look up records. You could, but as a 12-year-old? As a 12-year-old, yeah. It's like, and where would you get that detailed information? You know, I don't know. That's just... Now, here's the here's the interesting part, and here's the part that, well, this is all interesting. Because they did verify that Bill Wilkins or whatever oh, did yeah. live in the house. Yeah, but his, his son came Well, forward. I'm just saying, like, he could have, right, people, I've heard skeptics say that he's a liar as well, but it's uh, like, but they, you know, I know they checked yeah, the records right. and verified that there was a guy named Bill that lived in that home. So, this is the part, though, that I that I find um, how it relates to Andrea Perron's story. Mm-hmm. So, Janet today speaks of the haunting but claims not to remember any details. Hmm. And that reminded me of, of Andrea's mother mm-hmm. because she said that her mom knows that something happens, happened but can't remember any of the details yeah. of it. And I just wondered if that was kind of a maybe a, a possession type thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that is very true because, yeah, she does. She says that she doesn't remember a lot of, um, especially when they did the exorcism and things like that, yeah. that she doesn't remember a lot, or the seance, or however it really happened in um, Andrea's case. So Janet is, of course, grown. Uh, she lives in Essex. She's married. She has three children. Uh, she remembers generalities about the haunting, uh, like the first night when she or her sister was so frightened, um, this, the furniture moving, the walls knocking, and so forth. Um, she remembers Maurice uh, Gross again, you know, because they were really good buds and and uh, <clears throat> he claimed before his death in 2006 that the events were real he said matches would light themselves hmm. dogs could be heard barking where there were no dogs but he uh, remembered most the change in Janet's behavior yeah. and that you know with someone that you're become friends with too it just that's one thing people don't understand these ghost hunters or these investigators or these scientists that do these long-term investigations you get close to people you know and 
to, to have to see these things, to have to see these changes, and uh, I just can't imagine. No, you know, no wonder people like, you know, Playfair and, and the Warrens and things like that dedicated so much of their lives to this stuff. Yeah. Because they see the effect on people that it has. So, speaking of the Warrens, um, <clears throat> so one of the things here that, uh, so Guy Lyon Playfair is, you know, again, the, the, the guy who's still around. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's really uh, perturbed because the movie The Conjuring Two um, really puts a lot of emphasis on the Warrens being involved. I know, and they were barely there, right? Um, <laughs> but he said that he he tries to set set the record straight any chance he can because the Warrens showed up for one day. Oh, it was only one day. One. <clears throat> Day. Yeah, ba- they basically make Conjuring 2 look as if the Warrens were there from start to yeah. finish. I mean, definitely Playfair's character was there beforehand, yeah. and he's who calls them. But, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. He says they showed up unannounced at the infield home, which is something that was repeated in the Squirrel Family Haunting. Yeah. They just showed up. They weren't invited. They just showed up forced their way in well i mean at those times i mean did they have their big name yet you know that's the question because i don't think they got huge until yeah um amityville but you know he's i think andrea is too i think they just showed up at yeah, the parent that's what i was saying it, like everything that we've read so far yeah. is just they just showed up yeah lord so um he you know he says that uh, they were they stayed one day and his claim is that they basically devised their own paranormal evidence in an attempt to make money. Hmm. I've heard that a lot about the Warrens. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't have enough information, evidence, you know what I, I mean, on my own. So, I, And I'm a fanboy, so it's hard. It, so for me, I, I'm starting to call into question the Warrens because of the repeated... Um, testimony, if you will, or, or or information about how they just kind of show up, you know, do whatever they want to do, and then leave, and then later sell their story to the highest bidder. Right. So it's just for me. I mean, I I am you know you know I'm I'm a little bit of a skeptic, probably not as much when it comes to aliens and stuff like that. But when this kind, I mean, it just you know to me, they just feel like con artists. Mm. Uh, man, you know, I, I can't even tell you no because I, I, you're not the first person to question it. I, I'm, I've questioned it a million times because, you know, I've read damn near everything they have. And, yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, but then other times I'm like, but. But. <laughs> Again, and they can. They There can be truth. A lot. Some of the best lies are taken from truth. Right. You know. I mean, and, and you could even sprinkle in a little truth. And that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. It's like you can grow a tree out of, out of a small. A, a, a tree full of lies out of a truth. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I don't know. They, I don't know. They, just everything I've ever read, they didn't They didn't really ever seem like spotlight whores, but, I mean, that's how they made their money, too. So, I get it. I mean, it happens to even the best ghost hunters yeah. on TV and stuff that they end up, you find out a lot of them end up faking stuff just because they've got to get those ratings or they lose their show. So, I'll, I'll kind of leave off here with one. One other thing, and that is um, there was another investigator from the psychical research, and that was Anita Gregory. And um, there's not really a lot of information about Anita. She must not have been around maybe a little, or maybe she was brought in for an impartial, you know, she hadn't been involved that close. So she reviewed everything, and she says that um, the incidents may have begun 
as paranormal activity, but the girls exaggerated it so as to maintain media attention. And again, I, I, I don't discount that either. Yeah. You know, and uh, again, that doesn't mean that nothing happened. Well, I mean, I think that's what, that's, what, that's what this whole, that's what all my research found is that everybody says it started as something. It just stopped at some point and they kept it going. Right, and, and now I will say I definitely feel that way about Amityville. Like, George Lutz, he was a schmuck. I even met him when I was 13, and he was just a jerk. Um, he's definitely someone that I think they had some stuff happen, and it scared his family, it scared his kids, and he spun it to keep making money. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that everything happened the way that it did, but I definitely think some stuff did happen. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's sad because it's like, on one hand, it hurts the validity of this this community, this this section of paranormal yeah. belief. But at the same time, these things are what bring people to the paranormal. Right. It's like, had it not received the national, international coverage that it did, right. people wouldn't see it. Same thing with Amityville or the Swirl yeah. Haunting or any of these things. If it didn't receive that attention there would be no place for it. So right. it, it sucks because it's like a catch-22. It's right. like, would it have happened if they had not made up stuff? I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, it wouldn't have been a two-year ordeal. It would have been like a three-week ordeal or whatever, and so then yeah. it might, might have just died or, away. In, yeah, it would have just newspapers. died away. So, you know, in the beginning I said that um, I had figured out a way to work work in uh, UFOs. Oh, yeah. The topic. And... Um, so, um, reading Operation Trojan Horse, uh, Keel talks a lot about how uh, whenever there's a UFO flap, flap, there's an increase in poltergeist activity. Right, right. And we've been talking about that a lot, that cryptids you can add into the mix as well. So, out of curiosity, I looked it up. Was there a UFO flap in, in, in England or in the UK from 1977 to 1979? And there was. I I can already tell you, yeah, there was a huge UFO flap in the 70s. I mean, that's where the the Allagash, Travis Walton, I mean, so much. But I mean, specifically in In England England and Wales, um, there is, uh, so there was was a sighting that happened in 1977. Um, A whole class of students were outside and saw a UFO landed in the field wow. and, a, and, a, and a creature got out of it the um, the headmaster thought they were just all playing a prank so he pulled them all individually and said draw me a picture of what you saw <sighs> they all drew for the most part the same thing there was a few variances here and mm-hmm. there but for the most part it was all the same thing wow we need to cover that that <laughs> sounds great <laughs> um, then there was another sighting uh, at another school uh, a little close to that, and so I looked it up to see where this was in, in relation to uh, to the to infield. And interestingly enough, they're all all of these sightings were on the fifty first and fifty second ah. parallel mm-hmm. uh, longitudinal uh, parallel. So again, just kind of in that line, when you follow that fifty one and fifty second mm-hmm. parallel across, you know where you lined up, Maine, Allegash. <laughs> so again. Just trying trying to think about this. Was it a ghost, 
or was it something else? Something else, especially the more like Andrea was talking about these um, possible uh, alien and UFO sightings being telepathic and yeah. able to do things like that, hypnosis and stuff like yeah. that. <sighs> Who knows? I mean, you know, the the uh, the speaking as Bill mm-hmm. might have even been like a an attempt to pass themselves as human, hmm. as a ghost, right? Impersonation or or yeah. I'm like stretching this. I'm like, maybe they are able to manipulate the energy of, of right. a spirit yeah. that it is not something darker. It is something extraterrestrial or ultra terrestrial yeah. able to. So, oh, so yeah. that's weird. Uh, and then also this little bit of anecdotal information. Kiel says in all of his books that the best time to see a UFO in the summer months is August. The entire month of August is a great time to see UFOs. Mm-hmm. This occurred, started in August 1977. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, Andrea's big thing, her seeing that huge UFO right, when she was a kid over, during yeah. all of that. Just crazy, yeah. man. So, again, wow. maybe it is all related. Yeah, maybe. Well, I don't think maybe. I think it yeah. is. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. Phew, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so that, that pretty much wraps up the infield haunting. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, based on what I, based on what I found, you know, I think there probably was something. I don't know if it was necessarily ghost or haunting or spirit or if it was, you know, extraterrestrial or whatever. But I think there was definitely something unexplainable that occurred. Um, but I also see that there's a possibility that because they were getting attention, uh, they could have potentially kept it going. Yeah, for sure. Can't. I mean, they can't, especially kids. Yeah. So, like, kids are twofold because, you know, teen, early teens and stuff like that, A, absolutely are attention getters. I mean, we talk about that a lot, wondering if that's a case. Um, but at the same time, you know, these poltergeists and these things that tend to happen, they do tend to happen with preteens or teens um, due to the kind of crazy energy that a teen is going through at the time. Fluctuations. That a lot of times they believe that it's not even a ghost or anything like that as much as it's just psychic energy misdirected from these these kids. So Which if it that psychic energy is is really happening and it also coincides with the flap, Mm -hmm. who knows what that could produce. Yeah, absolutely. I mean does that does that type of energy leave a door open for yeah. an entity, and I'm going to say an ET or UT type entity, an intelligent yeah. entity, to be able to use that person as a vessel? Because they do. They talk a lot a lot about possessions and a lot about hauntings and things like that. There always seems to be some sort of kid yeah. involved, and you know, it makes you wonder if, if that's part of it. You know, It's not always a kid, don't get me wrong. No, no. But, yeah, very, very, very interesting uh, uh, as much fictionalized as Conjuring 2 is, it's still a very good, scary movie. I highly recommend watching it. Just take it with a grain of salt in terms of historical yeah. accuracy, right. especially with the nun stuff. That's all to build a shared universe. Um, but, yeah, I highly recommend that. I'm going to be checking out uh, Playfair's book. I just ordered it on Amazon. Um, I'd be very interested to see his full point of view. So mm-hmm. thank you for the information, man. Yep. 
Um, so before we get out of here, um, I want to get into our listener story for this week. Um, this one I've been hanging on to for a while, um, just because I wanted to get an actress back to doing it. <laughs> um, but this one comes from a listener. Her name is Carla Garcia. Um, I believe she is from North Carolina. And uh, this listener story is portrayed again by my good friend and journalist from Phoenix, Arizona, Caitlin McGlade. So let's go ahead and check this one out. My name is Carla Garcia, and I'm from North Carolina. Here's my story. Since I was a young girl, I've experienced things more often than not. My earliest memories of these things happening started soon after my father passed, roughly around the time I was five years old. Before then, I had an imaginary friend in my household back in California. I have no recollection of this friend. His name was Sipsy, but according to family, he was an older white male that played a very important and very, very lively part in my childhood. Not sure if he is a spirit or just a legit imaginary person. So fast forward to five-year-old me. I moved from California to North Carolina and my aunt moved into my old house in California with her family. Long story short, they experienced a lot of activity there and later moved out. Although I briefly encountered a lot of mysterious sounds after father's passing, it quickly ceased until I was in middle school and I moved into a new home. I began seeing shadows, and by the time I was in high school, I had my very first and honestly probably my only legit sleeping paralysis. During this paralysis, I saw a man holding me down by the wrists of my hands, and I could feel his anger. He had so much anger towards me. Growing up, I always told myself, oh, it's just dad, just so I wouldn't freak myself out. Anyway, my sister, who is 11 years older than I, has also experienced a lot and truthfully is probably the only one in the family who believes me. Truth be told, I feel like my entire family has gone through something paranormal, as well as my mother, in our homes. I've had family touched and pushed. I've had my nephew's window open at 4 in the morning, even. Lately, things have died down. I don't pay them much mind as I did in the past. Years ago, I started going to sleep every time I noticed it and it slowly just began to stop. I still hear things every once in a while, or notice a shadow. Things have died down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Carla. And um, wow, what a story. Just a lifetime. It reminds me of me. I mean, it's like a lifetime of experiences. Um, To even talk about how, oh, things have died down. Yeah, I still see shadows. I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. Get you know, out of here. I'm I'm thinking about that story and that the thing I said I hit you guys with this morning about you know the spirits come through the veil and then get stuck, stuck here. here when the veil gets closed. Yeah, I, I'm, I, yeah I've been thinking about that a lot. I want to reiterate that and say, yeah, you had said that you know around Halloween and stuff like that. The veil right. is supposed to be between us and the land of the dead is supposed to be thinner, and that's why we get a lot of spirits in the fall and things like that. And then around you know June or July is when it's at its thickest, right? And it's right. like, can they get stuck right. if they don't go back in time? <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of Coco, and, and we talked about right. that as well. But yeah, I mean, it just, but I mean, it might have been that that spirit was stuck here mm-hmm. and angry about it and couldn't get somebody to show them any attention or show them the way. I yeah. mean, that's why maybe why we need to show them 
the light, you know, in a lot of um, exorcisms or not even exorcisms, but like just helping these spirits see the light. It's like, hey, here's a back door. Right. Right. Here's a portal, so to speak. I don't right. know. It's very, very interesting. Um, I do like that she brought up sleep paralysis. And then we talked yeah, a no, lot we about talked sleep about, paralysis. I'm telling you, like just stuff happens sometimes and we didn't plan it that way. Yeah. So, um, but again, thank you, Carla. And thank you, Caitlin McGlade. Um, great, great stuff. I'm telling you, Google her and Google Arizona and you'll find all of her journalistic works for the newspaper where she's at or even some of the stuff when she was here in Louisville. She's amazing. So um, definitely check her out. Uh, but again, thank you, Carla. You can send your listener stories to us at fearscapepodcast at gmail.com or get onto the website, click submit a sighting. You can send in the listener story there. Yep. You can hit us on all of our social network as well. Facebook. Yep all that stuff so check out all the stuff fearscapepodcast.com fearscapemedia.com there you can check out our patreon page where to get t-shirts you can find out all of our other podcasts that are on the network and youtube shows and uh all that stuff yep. like my other show mysteries of the dark yeah. <laughs> plug, 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 plug 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 like we said next week we're going to be back with another haunting and uh we should be having vashti on um i always say should be because you know life is crazy right uh, <laughs> but uh I, I hope you guys stick around for that next week. Um, I also want to take a moment and just uh, remind people we had teased this a few weeks ago that when we went to the TNT Dome area in Point Pleasant that you, me, and Santosh recorded an album of chants and songs. Yep. And, uh, I played the Native American flute. Well, all of that is published. It's getting ready to drop on iTunes, on Spotify, all sorts of stuff uh, on September 14th. Um, this is a really cool thing. It's going to be the, al- the whole album will be 10 bucks, or you can stream it for free on Spotify and Apple Music and stuff yep. like that. Uh, but we're very, very excited about that. We're going to be pushing more of that on the web, or I mean, on the Facebook pages and, and, and stuff like that. You can follow and save now ahead of time on Spotify uh, by clicking the link on our Facebook page. Um, so I just wanted to push that because I'm so super pumped. The Spooky Crew has its first album, right. and we're working on a parody album for you and I doing a rap. I mean, there's yep. just going to be a lot of cool stuff coming A lot stuff of cool stuff out. coming, yeah. Um, so, but I wanted to make sure to point you guys in that direction. And uh, just a reminder that we're going to have Ken Gerhard on and uh, Connor Randall uh, in the coming weeks. And so if you have any questions for either of them to email us or submit a sighting or hit us up on Facebook uh, to let us know. Other than that... That's it, Josh. I'm done talking. I swear I'm ready to go. (laughs) All right. Um, But this has been Stefan. I will catch you on the flip side. This has been Josh. The truth is out there. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night.